And I'm, I'm proud of them. Even Stacy, where are you? <laughs> I tease a poor girl all the time. All right, it's good to see you all. Uh, some of you are our uh, guests, as always, and we're delighted to have you from wherever you are. I've met, I think, most of you. And uh, some of you are just returnees. You've just been attending here shortly. We're delighted to have, uh, have you. We, uh, today kind of a landmark, we're going to finish up uh, Matthew, Matthew 28. I would have never believed when I start this that we would end up almost on the dot where I hope to be, and yet here we are in the providence of God. Let's read Matthew 28, verses 16 to the end, what we call the Great Commission, following upon our Lord's resurrection. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. An interesting next clause, but some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, and here is the famous great commission to the church. The church had not been born yet. It was going to be in a few days. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, the therefore connects with all authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Wow, have we lost our way. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, that's all part of the project, to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, here's a promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those of you who are in business will recall the name Peter Drucker. I I guess he's now dead. Some of us ought to be, but I think he's, he's gone. Anybody know for sure? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Uh, he was a master business consultant. I wasn't there, but a friend of mine was, and he had called together business people from everywhere. Well, they had come together, paid their money, and uh, he got all these bigwigs uh, in this room, and, uh, you know, the high and the mighty, and uh, they had businesses that were far flung, and some of them had a corporate name, and under that corporate name were 90 different entities that all belonged to that corporation. So he's standing up there in front of them, and he says, uh, he looks out there and he says, you, sir, what's your business? God didn't expect the question. I mean, he had a title and all this other stuff, limousine driver and all that. What's your business? Uh, well, when he couldn't answer quickly, he turned to another and he says, I can't. Repair how to jumpstart your businesses or whatever. I wasn't there. I didn't, I can't repeat the dialogue. But he said, let me tell you something. You're not going to succeed in business if you don't know what your business is. Well, I was no business consultant, but, uh, I found that out in my 21 years of teaching. And, uh, I'm a kind of purpose-driven guy, and I want to know what my mission is. And I found out that in most of these Christian organizations, including churches, but parachurches, 
they, uh, they do all kinds of things, try to generate all of this giving. And, but frankly, they don't know what their business is. But I found out what it is. And it's sometimes true of churches, and it's sometimes true of parachurch organizations. Their business is spelled S-U-R-V-I-V-A-L, survival. Sometimes in churches, their business is B-I-G-G-R, bigger. That makes us look good. And sometimes their business is, see if I can spell it. (laughs) Well, I think I can spell. E-N-T-E-R-M-E-N-T. Christian entertainment. Did I get it right? Well, I'm dumber than a box of rocks. You know. I do know how to spell it, but now I'm up here in front of you like a kid at a spelling bee. I can't. <laughs> but anyway, you get, you get the point. You get the point, and I've seen it all my life, and I say, this is crazy. We just get out, we roll into our church, park our cars, send our kids off to this, and we do this, and we do that. Do we know what we're about, what we're supposed to do? Do we know what the mission is? Do we know what the mandate is, and are we doing it? And I have to tell you, few there be that find it. Sometimes the entities are big and they're far flung and we're here and we're there and we're in Africa, we're in Algeria. What are you doing? And then there are these great big Christian humanitarian organizations. What are you doing? Do you know what the mission is? This passage is about that and it addresses it. And we ought never, never forget it. Well, let me give you a little context. Most of you don't need it, but some of you do. In our teaching of the Passion Narratives, beginning with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we've moved from the condemnation of Jesus to his crucifixion to now his resurrection to his commission. That's where we are now, to his 11 disciples. Jesus was right on the money. Peter Drucker went alone, (laughs) you know. Now I'm going to tell you what your job is. They were convening with him at an unnamed mountain, unnamed here, in Galilee. Now, I don't know that it's important, but let's just pretend it is. Right down here is Judea, Jerusalem, the capital. They're moving from there. They're moving north. They're moving to the area we call the Sea of Galilee. I think most of you have got the picture. And if you go to Tiberias, which is over on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, nice little town, it's about 93 miles. They would say kilometers, but it, that's 93 miles up there. Little trek for this party to walk up there. So Jesus' disciples know where they're headed, up to that Galilee area, some specific area up there, and they're going to meet with Jesus. This is speculation. Many of you know how much I hate it, but some of it is a little more logical than others. It probably, we're not sure, it would be so poetic that they met at the Mount of Transfiguration. That would fit, but it doesn't matter. Along with Jesus' 11 disciples, there were probably some like those women 
those dear, fierce disciples of Jesus who followed him everywhere. And uh, it accounts for one thing that is in this passage. I'll get to it. So they get up there to the Sea of Galilee, to that mountain area, wherever it was, Mount Tabor possibly. And they uh, convened with Jesus, but it's perhaps not just the 11, but especially the 11. The 11 had passed along where to meet Jesus at Galilee. They're still stunned. They're still joyous. Uh, but wow, is this real? And so they get up there. And of course, Matthew's narrative is truncated. He has a purpose and he sticks to it. He knows what he's doing. And so uh, he abridges all this and Jesus is meeting them. And uh, Matthew notes that when they saw him, they worshiped him. Well, certainly that was the 11. They had already seen him and the women had seen him and I say this reverently, God knows how many others had seen him. There were about 500 people at one point that saw the resurrected Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that. But some were still incredulous. Uh, Maybe they hadn't seen him. And uh, a crucified man? Oh, we know what happens when the Romans crucify somebody. No way, no way. That's real. And so some of them, nobody likes to be made a fool of. So they kind of hung back. But you know, there's something very interesting there. So before I move on, I got to share that with you. Very interesting. Some of you follow these things, I'm sure more than others. And I don't want to appear to be talking down to anybody. But today, we pride ourselves um, we live in a modern scientific era. And we've got a new God spelled with a capital S, science. And so, of course, we're not gullible. <laughs> we're not gullible. Are you kidding me? They look at the pyramids and they can't figure out how in the world those things got constructed. So our scientific people are telling us aliens did that. Aliens did that. You not see that? See it all the time. No, they're not gullible. Uh, Well, if you think, as they allege, skeptics, modern skeptics allege, if you think that these ancients were people who would just buy anything because they were gullible, well, you're quite wrong. Right here's an L. No, they weren't gullible. A resurrection is a resurrection. And him, crucified, beaten up, flesh torn off of him, see his bones and see his innards? You're kidding me. He was resurrected on the third day? Uh, I got to see this for myself. No, they weren't gullible. I'm glad Matthew added that note. Well... He talks next in verse 18. He wants to emphasize something to his disciples, not only then, them and then, but to us now. All this is echo stuff. Jesus tells them so it'll be written down and reported to us as it is. And Jesus came up to them and he spoke to them in verse 18. And he said, 
all authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let's talk about that. He is now the Lord of heaven and earth. God the Father has enthroned his Messiah. Remember Psalm chapter 2? Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee, begotten thee as king. As universal ruler, his humiliation is now ended. His exaltation has begun. All that remains is to finish coaching his disciples up and ascending back into heaven from where he came. Its consummation will climax at the end of history. He is now the sovereign. He will be the head of the church about to be born on the day of Pentecost. That's when his spirit, his executive on earth, get out of my face, Nat. His spirit, his executive will be poured out who will execute his will. Now his disciples, now, now his disciples can be, as we say, loud and proud. We are his servants carrying out his work on earth. And we can be assured, I want us to get this, that in carrying it out, which we're still doing, we are backed by the authority of the King of Heaven. If He said it, we can depend upon the truthfulness of it. If He wills it, He has the power to bring it to pass. If we need ability and we need means, He can supply it. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And if we need direction, he will give it through his spirit. All authority. There is no deficiency. There is no inadequacy. There's no limit in that respect. When you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about the king of heaven and earth. His authority trumps all authority in heaven and earth. And that's why we pray to the father in his name through his spirit. Thus, we can go forth into the wider world, and we do. Or we can be in our little part, have our little footprint, as we do. We can have it where he placed us. But whatever it is, we know that we have the backing of the ultimate authority in the universe. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, and that's all we'll look at just for the sake of time, may pop up here, yeah. The the disciples, the apostles invoked that authority that just healed. In Jesus' name, a man, an adult man who was really bad off. Well, the Jewish government, to put it simply, called him in. And uh, they commanded them not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. You got it? Shut up. Don't mention that man's name again. We don't like it. He got crucified. It's over. It's done. Be still. Well, Peter and John replied, remember Jesus told them, who has all authority in heaven and earth? They were loud and proud. You guys tell us, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And that's exactly our feeling today.
And for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. No, we cannot. You know, uh, I personally expect I speak for a lot of you. I never like to use an Old Testament phrase to when a person is putting their armor on to talk like a soldier that is taking his armor off. And we get boastful and, oh, I'd do that, I'd do that. Well, I'm a weak human being. I think most of us probably weaker than we think we are. But um, I would at least like, by the grace of God, to be one in the moment who stands up rather than goes under the table. We're getting more and more into a day, which I've warned you about, I have as long as I've been here, 32 years. We're coming upon days a little faster than I thought where we may get called out just like Peter and John. And uh, it's already this way to some degree in Canada of all places where uh, preachers are at risk of going to jail. Some have been to jail for just preaching the truth. And you may be threatened with that for following the truth. But we're going to have to summon ourselves and remember, perhaps, sooner than we think. Remember that we belong to Christ. We are his disciples. But he has all authority in heaven and earth. And nobody can hurt us unless he allows it. Nobody can stop us unless he allows us. Nobody has a right to challenge us unless he allows us. Now, we will run into things like we've run into in this COVID thing. We will run into things where the government, even though we fiercely disagree with the government, color me fierce, but we fiercely disagree with the government. The government is within its authority, and it has the right to say, you cannot do X and you cannot do Y. But... The government can and will cross those lines like the Sanhedrin did here, and they will call us in, in effect, and say, you can't do X and you can't do Y when the Lord has told us to do otherwise. He has what? All authority in heaven and earth. And we can say, you do whatever you will, but we're going to follow the Lord in this matter. And uh, that'll be the challenge for some of us. Uh, as I say, it's coming on sooner than uh, we may think. I just don't know where it'll go, but hopefully I have the advantage of dying. <laughs> hey, these rubber bands got to break some point, you know. <laughs> Click. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I've, I've urged the elders to get a hearse out there, you know, just to have it ready. <laughs> but, but in any case... In any case, we never know. Uh, COVID really hit us. We didn't expect that, did we? Who knows whatever. But I have all authority in heaven and earth. We're under the king of the universe. They don't see him, but we know him. And we've always got to stiffen our spirits in light of that. Heaven and earth, universal authority, visible and invisible. 
now and forevermore, this world and any other that might exist. He wanted them to understand the scope of his power and authority, unlimited by space and time. I love to say it. His power, his unbounded authority is the impetus that sends his earthly servants. That's us, not just them. That's us. Sends us forth in a hostile and unwelcoming world with all of our inadequacies, and we are inadequate. Sends us forth, nevertheless, with confidence and boldness we didn't know we had to take on forbidding obstacles and penetrating new frontiers as his spirit leads and opens doors before us. Remember those missionaries? Some of you are your young puppies, and you don't remember. You've heard of it, perhaps, but uh, I'm a much older dog. And we remember those five missionary saints down, down in Ecuador. They were young fellows, just out of college, with uh, their wives. And uh, they went down to Ecuador to those savage tribes that had never seen the light of day. And uh, they all got uh, murdered. I remember Marge Saint. I was a co-speaker with he and her second husband uh, down in Mississippi. What's wonderful lady. But they had to go through that. Saved their husbands murdered. But a great work of God came out of that. I have all authority in heaven and earth. And I know how to use it. And I know how to use you. And sometimes it won't be like maybe you think. But all those guys would have uh, would have rejoiced to know what happened. As a matter of fact, one of those guys lived right up here in Portland near the seminary where I taught. Yep, it's been going on for generations. Sometimes we're in position to see it. Sometimes we're not. Now, that is our corporate project, Jesus tells us. Because I have all authority in heaven and earth, go therefore and make disciples in all nations. There's your job. Peter Old, uh, Peter Drucker had been here. What's your job? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's our job. That's our assignment. It's not to be big. It's, it's not to go to church and feel good and be happy and standing in front of somebody breaking his eyes 90 miles a minute. You didn't get that. It's all right. That's not what we're about. We're about making disciples. Every local church, there are a bazillion of them here and around the world. Every local church should be making disciples. But vast numbers, I have to tell you, have lived long enough, have enough experience to know, are not our church, we're not the perfect church, okay? I hate to tell you I'm perfect because that'd make you feel bad. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding, folks. But we're all imperfect. We're very imperfect pastors. We're very imperfect elders. We're very imperfect staff. And we're an imperfect church. Yeah. We are and we always will be. But God works through imperfection. He works through and with broken people. Because he has what? All authority. 
all power in heaven and earth. And he can take you, brother, and he can take you, sister, with all your weaknesses. He can take you and he can use you. You don't have any position. You don't have any authority of your own. You don't have any charisma, you know, that draws people to you. You're just you. But the Lord knows how to use you. I've seen that all my life. The people we call little people, they're not big dogs. They don't shine like a new coin. But they just love God and they're willing to be used. And I've seen him use it. This pastor couldn't do a thing with them. But the Lord Jesus Christ working through people who are committed to what he called us to do. Yeah, he can do it. That's what this church is dedicated to. As I told someone this morning, we're dedicated to be an instructive, a Bible teaching church. I'll get to that in a moment. But we're not here to perpetuate ourselves as a church. I hate to say this. I really do. But you know, I like to tell the truth. One day, things will change. I don't know when they'll change. I don't know why they'll change. But one way, this, one day, this church, that church, this church will no longer be here. Somebody one day, for some reason, will manage to steer it off track. You remember what Paul told the church at, at uh, Ephesus? Called them down to the shoreline to a town named Miletus. Called all the elders in that city together who represented the churches there. And he warned them of the things that will come. And I'm paraphrasing part of this. But it's in Acts chapter 20. And he says, it really grieves me to say this. But some of the kinds of people I'm warning you about who will destroy the church are among yourselves. He didn't name any names. But my commitment is, and I know the commitment of many here, as long as we can, not to lose our candlestick, but to be here and to remember the mission. Peter Drucker, what's your job? Our job is to make disciples. It's not to become a bigger church. It's not to become a flashier church. We want to do what we can do. We can enhance things. Yeah, we can do that. We don't want just same old, same old, same old every Sunday. Even though you got a, got a pastor who's getting uglier by the minute. But you just, we just got to do what God has called us to do. And he called us to what? Make disciples. But before you can make a disciple, you got to do what? Think about it a minute. Some of you have told this. I may have told you all. I don't remember. But before you do anything, before you step out and I'm going to serve Jesus, yes, buddy. I'm going to march out into the world and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Before you ever go out to do, your first job is to what? Some B. Thank you, David. B. Before I go out to make Christians here, there, and African, whatever, my first job is to be a disciple, be a follower, be a learner. That has more light than anything. 
That's what I'm going to be. My first job as a pastor is not to make disciples of you. It is to be what? Be a disciple in front of you. Now, I'm not going to be a perfect one. Ask Aussie. No, it's it's not going to happen. But you've got to be credible. And the more people in this church, or any church, who decide, well, before I go out and make disciples, I've got to be disciples. That's implicit. He says, go, before he says all that. you got to move. You can't sit on the couch. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, not your couch. So we've got to go. I mean, we've got to be willing to go. Some of our staff have been doing a great job of this. They... uh I know David doesn't. I know John doesn't. They they go out in their various venues. They meet people. And they try to share Christ with them. And some of them you'll see on Sundays right here. It's happening. But while we're being disciples, if we're being a disciple, we will want to make disciples. We will want to see people become followers of Jesus. So that's the first thing. That's our commission. And then he goes on to say, make disciples of whom all nations. We, 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 we can't just get farsighted. Just look here. We can't see anything beyond ourselves. We've got to look out into the world where we live. We've got to look for opportunities. We've got to look for windows for the gospel. But as I say, don't break down doors. Don't crash windows. But wait for opportunities. Donnell sitting right here. Donnell, it is good to see you. Sitting there beside Ray, keeping him straight. But there was a time when she worked over here at the, the Pearl. And she was a hairdresser over there. Well, there was a a lady, an older lady who was somewhat disabled. And she went to talk about being a disciple. Well, Donnell in that environment was a disciple. And this lady found her such a nice lady. Now, this lady had been into everything. You know, she was a 1960s hippie. Big time. And drugs, booze, everything. Big time. But by this time, she's a very nice lady. And she really liked Donnell, and somehow the subject of spiritual things, the church came up. She asked Donnell, where do you go to church? Well, Donnell said, point right across the street. I want to go there. So it got arranged, so she was coming here, and she used to sit right there. Before COVID, she passed away. But she sat right there every Sunday. And she loved it. She'd come early so she could hear the music. She loved it. And David baptized her, right? It's kind of a chore. We needed kind of, <laughs> needed kind of a lift to work it out because of her disability. But it's a wonderful thing. That's the way it's supposed to be. You be a disciple. But when you're being a disciple, you want to see other people know Christ. And you reach out. But you don't go knocking down doors. You don't go crashing windows. You're just loving and gentle and Glenn. Where, where's Glenn? 
right down here. There's a, Glenn, how old are you? If you were a lady, I wouldn't ask. He's 88, best looking 88 year old you'll ever see. And he goes up, works out at the gym, works out at the gym. How many push-ups do you do a day, Glenn? Oh, go ahead. You don't have to lie. How many did he say? He does 300 push-ups a day. Okay, do we give him a hand? 88 years old. I hate to say it. I feel convicted all over. (laughs) But anyway, I know what he does. Everybody knows what he does. He gets over there. Okay, here's a guy who's a big shot this and a big shot that. Well, Glenn's been a big shot himself. So uh, he's not afraid of anybody. And he, he talks plainly to these people about Christ. He just takes advantage of the environment that he's in. Years ago, I'm locked in pretty much to my office and things like that, but I used to, sounds funny, I used to work out. (laughs) And the only thing I do is work out my belly with sweets these days. Oh, gee. But anyway, that aside, I used to, work out pretty hard a couple hours a day over at the fitness center when it used to be down here on this corner. And there were some guys all lumber uh, uh, brokers who worked out in front of them. Some of them were pretty buff. And I didn't chat much with them. We were all, they were chatting with each other. One day got a call here at the office. Some guy in West Lynn, that was my neighborhood, he uh, called. His wife had just been to the doctor. She had, uh, ooh, cancer. She had only a few months or weeks to live. He wanted to know if he could talk to a pastor called over here because he worked over here but lived over there. Well, got the address and it was right near my house. So I said, I'll take that one. So I jumped in my car, went over there, fine home. I walked in. And he, his name is Terry. He said, you. <laughs> you. <laughs> a lot of people say that with a less friendly way. <laughs> he said, you. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, it's me. We know each other, don't we? He said, yeah, thanks for coming. Well, before I left that day, that was just a, I didn't crash any doors, break any windows. But we were just there. And uh, when he saw me, because of our my relationship over there, he welcomed me. That's the way things start. Before I left there that day, both of them had received Christ. We baptized them. And on schedule, his wife passed away. Then a few years later, I got a call from that house. He was 48 years old. And he had died on a couch in the middle of the night. Well, you just, you be a disciple, then you go out. You go. Doing what? Well, whatever life has to offer, but go. Don't just sit there. Go. Be awake. Be alert. And try to make disciples. And what's involved in that? Well, i got to hurry here. I mean, we got announcements, and that's really important. <laughs> we got to hurry here. 
of all nations, anywhere, everywhere life may take you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptizing them. What's baptism got to do with anything? You're not saved by water. You're not washed in a in a regenerating way by water. That's not the idea, though some have thought that. No. Somebody said Jesus never called anybody that he didn't call to own him publicly. He's not calling secret service disciples. People who want to receive Jesus, apparently they think get their rabbit's foot and, you know, get a pledge to take him into heaven, but on earth do whatever they want to. No, Jesus says, I want you to own me and I want you to own me publicly. I want you to stand up and claim me. So he appointed this symbol, baptism. It's really a terrific symbol because in baptism, what it's supposed to mean is that people confess Christ in the waters of baptism. It's there that they say, I own Jesus as the Lord and the Savior who died for my sins. So I'm going to die symbolically to sin. I'm going to go under that water and I'm going to symbolize being washed from all of my uncleanness. And then I'm going to rise out of that water, cleansed symbolically, but really on the insides, having confessed him by faith. I'm going to rise from that water and live as a disciple, live forevermore to the glory of God. Jesus says, that's what I'd like for you to do. And if you're thinking about becoming his disciples, that's what he wants you to do. It's not going to save you. It symbolizes that you just got saved by confessing him by faith as your Savior. I want you to baptize them. And then let's not forget this. That's why the lake is the church that it tries to be teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Teaching. We're commissioned. We've got a commission. And part of that commission is not only to go, but it's to what? Instruct. You can go to many churches in America and you can never get a dime's worth of instruction. You can get a whole pack of entertainment. You can get a you can get a whole truckload of feel-good stuff. When I go to church, we had a lady, beautiful young lady. Oh, it's been 20 years ago. She walked out of this church and she was mad. She told, she told me explicitly, I do not come to church for that. I was teaching the Word of God. I come to church to hear jokes, funny stories, and feel good. Well, I applaud her honesty. But that's where a lot of people are. We do not intend to be that kind of church. We're going to teach the Word of God. You don't have a chance to be a disciple unless you are instructed because it is the Word of... Listen, it's not me. It's not anybody else that we may stick in this pulpit. Nobody here is going to make you what you ought to be. We're just conduits. We're just conduits. We take the word of God. The spirit is behind the word. And the spirit is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will get down and dig at you where nobody else can reach. And sometimes it will cause the heart to rejoice. Sometimes it will cause the heart to be enlightened, the head to be enlightened, to understand better. And sometimes it will get down there and all that dirt you're hiding will be exposed. And then you'll blame me for it, which is all right. I'm used to it. But it will be the Word of God, and that's exactly what people need. And we aim to be that kind of church. 
I'm not bragging on the church. I'm just telling you the way things are ordered by the Lord. We don't get it all right. But we are going as long as at least I'm occupying this pulpit, which may not be more than five minutes. We are teaching them to observe everything that he commanded. Nobody has a right to change that agenda. No pastor, no board of elders, nobody has a right to come along and change that. That's the syllabus. That's the syllabus to teach you all that I taught you. Do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That needs much more treatment than I can give it. But have you heard this statement? God exists as a triune God. Father, Son, it's not three forms of the same God. It's one God, one substance, who in a mystery we cannot understand completely is exists as Father, separately as Son, and then as the Holy Spirit, in that order, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard anybody say, I'm sure you have. Oh, well, they're just, it's just all one God. Just under different names. You tell me whether there's another God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus knew what he was saying, and Matthew knew what he was saying in recording of there is this one God, the triune God. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, existing in perfect harmony and unity, solving the philosophical problem that's always existed. How do you account for this diversity within the unity or this unity within the diversity and perfect harmony? Blow my mind. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We pray to the Father. We pray in Christ, in your name, and we pray to a God who takes our prayers to the throne of grace. I can't understand it all, but we're not talking about the same God until we understand that. And then the promise. You know what? What was Jesus' name when he came into the world on Christmas? The angel said, call his name what? Jesus. You know what that name means? I know most of you do. That name means he saves. But he had another. And you know what that name was? I heard some of you say it, the braver ones. Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. And what does Jesus say? Book ends. Behold, I am with you. And he is. If we're with him, he's with us. In so many different ways, I am with you. One of our ladies, I'll close with this. I won't tell you who he is. Not that she wouldn't mind. I don't think. But uh, she lost something very precious to her. It wasn't valuable. It just had tremendous sentimental value. And uh, something to cry over. She lost it here last Sunday, or she thought last Sunday. And uh, she called the church office, and I asked if anybody had found it. I knew how important it was to her, not only I, but Stacy and others. And we kind of looked the church over for something like that. In the midst of all the 
we couldn't find it. And she was in tears this morning. Somebody had found it. The Lord does things like that. And somebody else told me about something really great that happened this weekend. I think it was a financial thing. And the Lord just does things like that. Sometimes the Lord, for our own good, takes things away. Sometimes for our own good, he gives things back. He does that. Behold, I am with you always. And as long as this church and as long as you, my friend, are with him, he's with you. But if any of you here are continuing to live a life, even though you're sitting in a church, you continue to live a life that is really against him, you won't take a stand for him, you won't claim him, then you're in deep trouble. And you will be forever. I beg you, I implore you to receive him, become his disciple. If you want more help on that, see David. Want more help on that, see me. If you want more help on that, see somebody. (laughs) But receive him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all this uh, teaching of our Lord Jesus that we've received through the pen of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We rejoice in it. Now we pray that you would go with us this week and help us first to be disciples, then to make disciples, uh, to baptize those who claim your name, to uh, walk in your ways. If we just talk, our Father, that's all it is, talk. Help us to walk. Otherwise, it's all a big book. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.